Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. There was a monk who was known for always passing the buck. He'd have a tendency to get angry at his fellow monks, and he'd blame them for what was going on. So he finally decided what he needed to do was just get away from everybody because they all make him angry. And so he isolated himself to a, a far desert region. And while he was walking around his, uh, his place, he dumped over a water pitcher that was in the room. He picked it up, put it back, and a little while later, he came and he bumped that water pitcher again. And then in his anger, he picked up that water pitcher and he threw it against the wall and it shattered into hundreds of pieces. And it caused him to realize that the source of his anger was not others, it was that which lay within him. And how true that is for each one of us, for the anger that lives within us. The real trouble is within us and what's going on in our lives. Last week we looked at uh, uh, Matthew 5, 21 through 22. We talked about the danger of anger. And, and in that passage, Jesus called for a total categorical rejection uh, of anger in the life of every believer. You may remember from that sermon that Jesus addressed the internal uh, condition of anger. And we talk about that word anger that's used in that passage talks about a long-lived anger. It's an anger that, that you brood over, that you cultivate, that you will not allow it to die. He's not talking about some trivial thing that happened. He's talking about something that, that is, is, is terrible that happened in your life. He's not talking about anger that we express when the glory of God, the will of God, and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the glory of God or the kingdom of God is at stake. He's talking about an anger over you have toward another person. So he condemned that internal condition of anger. We shouldn't allow it to brood. We shouldn't allow it to harbor in our lives. But he also condemned the external expression of anger. He talked about when you use that term raka which is really more of a, a, a tone of voice than anything. He said, you shouldn't do that. And he said, using a, the word fool is when you make a deliberate effort to destroy someone's character, someone's reputation. He said, you shouldn't do those type of things. Well, today we pick up the story on anger. Jesus is teaching on anger by looking at Matthew 5, 23 through 26. So after Jesus discussed uh, God's perception of anger, he goes on to discuss the reality of anger. Here's the fact. Jesus realizes there's anger. He understands that. So he wants to tell us how to deal with it. How do we deal with this anger that is so prevalent in our, our life? He wants to tell us how to, how to handle the anger within us. So we're going to look at these words this morning under the heading, When Anger Divides. So you follow along in your copy of God's Word. The words will be on the screen, but I may want you to write something in your Bible. So hang on with me as we read this. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. 
Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're on, still do it while you're still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So we're going to look at these words this morning. I want to give you two truths in this about the reality of anger. So uh, remember, we're looking at this under the, under the heading, when anger divides. So here's the truth. The reality of anger necessitates reconciliation. The reality of anger necessitates reconciliation. Jesus is not denying that anger exists. He said because of that reality, it necessitates reconciliation. We see this in verses 23 through 24. Jesus is imagining a broken relationship between two individuals. He's giving us this case of two individuals who have a strained or a broken relationship. And then he's going to offer the solution to this broken relationship. And he describes an individual in worship during this situation, and he gives us two guidelines when it comes to worship. The first guideline is this. In worship, there is positively a need to take inventory. So, so when you're coming for worship, there is this need for you to take an inventory of your life and, and see what is going on. As we look at verse 23, almost every word of verse 23 is important. Uh, we, we see the very first word is therefore. The therefore points back to what Jesus has just said. He said, in light of the fact that there's this anger, because of what I just said, so therefore points back to what was just said. Then he uses if. With the word if, Jesus is talking about a hypothetical situation. He said, in the event uh, if this happens. And then he uses the word you, and the word you here is interesting. Uh, it kind of loses some of the significance in the English language because we don't have the equivalent translation. When we say you, it's you, 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 or you, all of you, something like that. In this one, he's using the second person singular. It's almost as if Jesus is pointing his finger at every person in the audience, every person listening then, and get this, every person who is listening now. He's singling out you, you, you. Not you corporately as if he's addressing no one in particular. He's addressing every individual who's listening to him at that time. So he's pointing them out. He says, therefore, if you, and he says, if you're coming and you're making an offering, if you're, if you're in the act of worship, he says, and as you're doing that, you remember. That word remember, he says, when you're coming to this time of worship, when you're coming to this time of, uh, of going before God, and then you remember, he says, that's when you need to take inventory of your relationship with other believers. You need to remember this. He, he talks about this relationship that you had. He said, you remember this. So when we come to worship, not only is it important for us to make sure that our relationship is right with our Heavenly Father, but we also want to make sure that our relationship is right with our earthly brother. So there's that, that, that dimension this way and that dimension this way, the vertical and horizontal 
relationship we are to have. So he says, if you're offering your gift at all, then therefore remember that your brother has something. And that word something is deliberately vague. He doesn't say what it is. He doesn't really describe anything in specifically. Uh, it's, it's not some minute fault. It's not some trivial uh, thing. Uh, you know, the fact of the matter is, look, can we just be honest? If everything made us angry and we got mad about it, uh, no worship would ever be accomplished in the church. <laughs> we would never be able to do it. That's not what he's talking about. He's not tra talking about some trivial, insignificant thing where you got your feelings hurt because they didn't paint the room the color you wanted it to be painted. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about a decision was made and you weren't incorporated. You weren't asked your opinion of that decision. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about someone has personally offended you, done something to you, and you remember that. That's what he's talking about in this situation. He's talking about a major grievance that you have against an individual. And so because he uses this word something, he doesn't specifically say what it is, but he also leaves room for a variety of problems. Uh, and that's what's so unique about it. He puts it pointed toward what is bothering you, what affects you in your life. What's the point that Jesus is trying to make? We cannot, hear me on this, my friends, we cannot allow our anger, our animosity toward a brother to go unchecked. You can't allow that to happen. There comes a time in your life when you're involved in worship, you need to take inventory of your life and see if there's something that's hindering you in your ability to worship. So in worship, there is a need to take inventory. The second one is in, in the worship experience, there's possibly the need to make interruption. Look at verse 24. Now remember, all of this is in the context of worship. You're in the midst of worship. You're bringing your sacrifice. He says, look at verse 24. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. So Jesus is painting the picture. He's telling the story of an individual in the process of bringing his gift to the altar. In the process of making his sacrifice to God. He says, and there you remember that there's somebody that has something against you or you have something against another. He says, at that time, you are to drop your sacrifice to the floor, interrupting worship, and then you are to return and continue doing it. Let's look at it this way. You're about to drop your money in the offering plate. And as you're doing that, or you're singing a song, you remember that you have something against somebody. Or you know they have something against you. Throw it away. Because God is not going to receive your offering. He's not going to receive it. That's how important this is to Him. Now these are radical words. Uh, these are radical words because the religious leaders of the day said that if you drop your offering, it's defiled. And it cannot be used again. But Jesus is telling us with his words, he's saying there is something even more defiling than that. That is offering your gift in worship to your heavenly Father 
when your heart is not right with your earthly brother. That's what he's saying with these words. But notice what Jesus says. He doesn't say, just leave it. He says, don't just leave it. He said, go. You are to go. And the religious leaders would say, say it was the epitome of irreverence to interrupt a worship service, to interrupt a worship experience. You would never do that. Uh, you'd be disgraced. You would be kicked out uh, of the synagogue or out of the temple. But Jesus is saying there's something even more irreverent than that. There's something even more irreverent than, than dropping your, your gift on the floor. He says, when there is division in your heart, when, when there's division within the fellowship, when there's division within the church, he said, that's unacceptable to God. Listen, can I tell you something? God is not as interested in our worship as he is our personal holiness. God is more interested in us being holy than we are in our worship to Him. You cannot come to Him in worship as long as you have anger and animosity and resentment toward a brother in your heart. You can't do it. God's not going to receive your worship. He's not going to receive our worship in that situation. And so as the Holy Spirit brings the remembrance to you of any anger that you have toward a brother or a sister, you are to solve that. You are to reconcile it. You are to make peace with that person. You see, Jesus recognized the reality of anger in the lives of men, in the lives of women. And he says that when it comes to worship, when it comes to making your offering toward God, you need to take an inventory of your life. Jesus says, before you enter this facility, before you enter into worship, before you give your offering, he says, scan the relationships of your life. Scan the relationships of your life. And he says, after you've done that, there may be, you may need to interrupt what you're doing and go reconcile with your brother or your sister. One person I read said this, how many of our churches would or should be temporarily emptied if these commands were taken seriously? Have you thought about that? How many of us fail to heed these words? How many of us fail to take these words seriously? You see, Jesus is concerned that we worship correctly, but he's also concerned that we behave correctly. Being a Christian starts with a relationship to Jesus Christ. But it carries over into our relationship with one another. Jesus will say, how can you say that you love your heavenly father when you can't love your brother or your sister who's created in the image of God? How can you do that? Jesus says we are to seek reconciliation with this brother or this sister. So, so, so what is our response when, when reconciliation is needed? What's our response when we know that we ought to reconcile with our brother? Most of us will do everything but what Jesus tells us to do. Uh, what we'll say, well, I, I've got to get it right in my heart first. Jesus said, no, no, go. We said, well, I've got to pray about this. No, Jesus said, go, go. 
and do this. I remember uh, when I was in seminary, for those of you that didn't know, I did go to seminary. Uh, uh, so I did, when I was in seminary, I was in my, my New Testament class, and my professor of New Testament told a story about one time he got angry with a professor there at seminary. He didn't get into the details of, of that, but they got into an argument in a meeting, and he got angry. He said he stormed back to his office, and uh, he was really angry with this professor. And so he prayed to God, and he said, I know I shouldn't be angry. So he prayed to God. He said, God, forgive me for being angry with my brother. I ask you to forgive me. He said, God, God forgave him. And he said, I felt, I felt better about myself. He said, I felt good, but there was still this gnawing deep inside of me. Something wasn't right. So I went to God again. I said, God, what am I supposed to do? And God said, you need to go reconcile with your brother. And so he went to his, his, his colleague, and he confessed his anger and asked his forgiveness. And he said everything was right between him and his associate. You see, sometimes we have to make reconciliation with the brother before we, we can get that peace, that uh, calmness in our heart that we so desire. But what do we want to do? We want to study Scripture. God says, no, go, go. Uh, or we get mad, we want to go join another congregation. God says, no, go, go to that brother. Uh, we say, well, Lord, what about my dignity? God says, go. Uh, Lord, what about my pride? God says, go. Lord, what about my reputation? God says, go. Some of you might be saying one or every one of these things. God, what about me? And God said, go. Go and reconcile with your brother. Go and make peace with your brother. John MacArthur, and I don't often quote individuals in my sermons, but John MacArthur said this, and I wanted to give him credit for what he said. He said this, true worship is not enhanced by better music, better prayers, better architecture, or even better preaching. True worship is enhanced by better relationships between those who come to worship. Worship may be improved by our staying away from church until we have made things right with those with whom we know our relationship is strained or broken. When there's anger, when there's animosity towards someone in our heart, there cannot be integrity in our worship. Long before Jesus spoke these words, the psalmist said, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If I cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So the reality of anger necessitates reconciliation. Jesus saying, look, I know anger is a reality. I know it's something that's in you. Listen, we will never get rid of anger this side of glory. It'll never happen. But Jesus says, because anger is a, is a reality, you may need to seek reconciliation with your brother. But there's another truth in this passage. The priority of reconciliation eliminates judgment. Listen to verses 25 and 26 again. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you still while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid 
the last penny. Let me tell you first what this passage does not mean. Jesus was not teaching that the individual who does not reconcile with his brother, the individual who continues to have anger in his heart, loses his salvation. That's not what he's saying. We know that our salvation is all about what Jesus did and nothing about what we did or even what we do. It's either all up to Jesus or none of it's up to Jesus. Our salvation does not hinge upon whether we have anger or not. But neither is Jesus teaching the Roman Catholic doctrine of purgatory as if we could ever pay enough to get ourselves out of hell. That's not what Jesus is saying. Uh, he was warning of the severity of God's judgment in this situation. Here's what Jesus is basically saying. He said, take care of this situation. Be reconciled with your brother while you have opportunity to do so because there may come a day when you don't have that opportunity. Let me read a story to you that I uh, clipped out of a paper a long, long time ago, uh, but I think it fits. I'm going to read it to you because I don't want to misquote what she said. Uh, this was a nurse who worked uh, in a hospital. This is what she said. I'll never forget him. I told him I would never forgive him. The attractive elderly lady spoke softly, but with resolve, as I attended to her nightly cares. Her expression was troubled as she turned away, focusing her eyes on the drape closing in her nursing bed. Our conversation had traveled from the temporal to the eternal, and now a deep hurt surfaced. She told of how her brother had approached her hospital bed, accusing her of taking more than her share of family heirlooms following their mother's death. He spoke of various items, ending with the berry spoon. He said, I want the berry spoon. For the 40 years since their parents' death, he had hidden his feelings, and now they erupted. She was both hurt and angered by his accusation, and vowed never to forgive him. It's my spoon. It was given to me, she defended herself. He's wrong, and I won't forgive him. Standing at her bedside, I felt my spirit soften and grieve. A spoon, a berry spoon. In the bed before me lay a woman given two months to live, 60 days, and she would face eternity and never see her brother again in this life. Her mind and spirit were in anguish, and her only remaining family tie was broken over a berry spoon. As I returned to my nurse's station, I was drawn deep into thought. How many berry spoons were there in my life? How many things as insignificant as a spoon in light of eternity separate me from full communion with God? How much anger and lack of forgiveness keeps me from fellowship with others? I could only ask God to search my heart. How many berry spoons are in my life? What's our response to a story like this? What's our response to the words that Jesus says to us? How many berry spoons are there in your life? How many berry spoons are there in my life? 
you need to recognize any anger and broken relationships that may be present in your life. You need to recognize the wrongs that you've done to others. Why? What happens if you don't? The repercussions are earth-shattering. What will happen if you don't seek that reconciliation? What would happen if you don't mend those broken relationships? According to Jesus, first, your worship's not going to be received. God's not going to hear your songs. He's not going to receive your offering. He's not going to receive your gifts. It's not going to happen. Second, it would destroy your relationship with another person whom you are going to spend eternity with, we hope. It will destroy that relationship. And third, it will place you in bondage to your anger. I'm going to give them to you again. I want you to write them down. If you don't seek reconciliation, your worship will not be received. Second, it would destroy your relationship with another person. And third, it will place you in bondage to your anger. So what is God's word to you today? Seek reconciliation. Seek reconciliation with whoever that person is. And you know, and the reality is, they may not even know they've hurt you. They may not know it. But you have allowed this hurt to fester and to brood. And it has become a cancer within you. Some of you today, you need to make a phone call. After this service is over, you need to get on a phone call and call somebody and say, hey, I need you to forgive me. You need, I need you to forgive me. Others of you not, might need to write a, a, a message, uh, an email, uh, an instant message, a text message, or you could really, really go old school and write a letter that you have to mail in the post office. That takes a lot of effort with your own hand to write it down. For others of you, you just may need to pay somebody a visit. I think you could do that even in the midst of social distancing. But you know what? Can we be honest? It's more important to make restitution with that brother than to protect yourself from some virus that you may not even get. Because we're talking about eternity. We're talking about your relationship with God. So you may need to phone somebody, you need to write a letter, you might need to pay somebody a visit. The point is, seek reconciliation today while you still have opportunity to do so. So what do you do when anger divides? You seek reconciliation. You seek reconciliation.